Uh, good morning, Creekside. I'm, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Man, what a, what a cool, I mean, thank you to the band. Like, that was such a powerful worship experience. And then um, thank you guys for raising those kids. Um, they're pretty special. And uh, that is a sappy moment for a dad whose kids are growing up way too fast, I feel like. And I am not ready for what just happened there with mine. Maybe we'll get there. You guys can give me some tips. So, um, so I, I have been, I've been sappy and nostalgic, okay, thinking about all this. And then um, last week we did our, our Vision Sunday, and we kind of talked about, man, all the, everything that, that the Lord has invested in this church family over so many years, you know. Um, I inherited uh, my role in this church family, and I got to step in six and a half years ago to be part of this group. Um, all of you at different points, God has transplanted here. And as I've been thinking about these, all these sappy thoughts, it's also just been a... Um, a really heavy week. Um, so I don't know how you guys are right now, and it's easy to kind of um, distract ourselves and forget from time to time, but it's a tough week. I mean, we, we last week we acknowledged and prayed for um, the families, the victims of the, the Buffalo shooting, right? This racially motivated, um, terrible thing that happened. Um, we prayed for our Asian American brothers and sisters, what happened in the church in um, Southern California, um, and then we had um, another school shooting this year, uh, this week in Texas, and um, there's just the weight of all this, right? As we just look at our world and we just think um, every single time, how could our world possibly be this broken, right? How could this possibly happen? And then it happens again and again and again. And we as a society are so broken that we, we can't even agree on what's wrong and we can't work together for a solution. And it's just this like gut punch, this, this thing that's just so hard. And so I think of, I think of our, um, our students graduating. I think, you know, I've been out of uh, high school now. I did what they did, I guess, 22 years ago, which I feel like at that point was something that the old people were saying to me, like, you know, 20 years ago. Um, I feel like the world they're stepping out into is, is, seems harder to me than the world that I stepped out into. And maybe that's just like, maybe I'm more aware, you know, or whatever, but it just feels like, man, how can we, how can we be sending them out into this world like this? And there's, there's prayers that maybe they're the ones that kind of solve it, but, um, what I'm picturing is this. We, we're, we're in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you do have your Bible and want to open there, you can open. We're going to be in the end. We're going to finish up 1 Thessalonians today, actually. And as we're there, um, he's been talking about this picture of the day of the Lord, the day that the Lord comes back. And there's all this injustice in the world, and there comes a day when God sort of wraps it all up, and there is, like, justice brought to every injustice that, that comes. Um, he talks about the, the, the Lord returning, and he's going to, like, gather us together, and he's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep before us, those who have died, and there's going to be this beautiful reunion. And he's painted that picture, and, like, this is one of those weeks that I just feel like, okay, I love that picture of every wrong being set right, and of every uh, wound being healed, and of every tear being wiped away. I love that picture, but I feel like sometimes, like, how are we going to get there? Like, how are we going to, like, make it through all the way to whenever that is, right? How can we possibly do it? And this picture, as Paul ends the letter of 1 Thessalonians, um, he actually paints a pretty compelling picture of what it looks like for us to get there um, and how we will make it actually to the end. And so that's what I want to just dive right into this morning. Actually, I, I do want to, I want to say a word of, of prayer just with everything that's happened this week. So if you don't mind just praying again, it's good for us. Lord, I... I, I don't know what to say, and I, I, don't, I don't think anybody expects um, anybody else to really have, like, the perfect answer for these kinds of tragedies that we've been experiencing lately. But, Lord, I just, I think of these kids in their school, and I think of their um, parents dropping them off, and I just picture our society that's so, so broken, Lord. And I just, all I can say, Lord, is please have mercy, Lord. 
be with those, those families, um, to be with our kids as we take them to school. Lord, be with our world as it is so heavy and it is so broken, Lord. And I, Lord, I just want you to fix it all. And I, and I, and I want you to, to empower and mobilize us to be at least a piece of that solution. And um, Lord, there's so much that's broken. I pray that you would heal and work. And I pray that your loving arms would comfort and hold and sustain. And Lord, I, I trust, I believe that when you say that there is this beautiful end of, of every tear wiped away, of, of everything truly working together for good, apparently in some way deeper way than I can understand myself, Lord, I pray that that would indeed be true, that you would be working, that you would be healing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here's some jarringly uplifting words for you to start, okay? We're in 1 Thessalonians 5, and we open in verse 16, and Paul says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, okay? So here he's giving us these really uplifting things, okay? And so these are like, these are actually, to be honest, these are great commands, right? Because sometimes it's like deny yourself and take up your cross, right? So here's like a command I can get behind, okay? Rejoice, like have joy all the time. And pray, like without ceasing, never stop praying, okay? And give thanks in all circumstances. So Paul's saying these commands, they're good ones, I love them, I want to obey these, okay? Um, do these good things, and he's saying it in like the sharpest possible terms, okay? There's, there's like, it's really hard to tone down what he's saying because he says, do it always, do it without ceasing, do it in all circumstances. So all the time, everywhere, in all circumstances, be rejoicing, be prayerful, be a thankful kind of a people. And this is tricky to kind of like navigate that because we know like life isn't always um, joyful or it doesn't feel that way, does it? And, and, and this week is one of those examples where it's like, how can you say that uh, in a society, in a day when things are so broken, things are so bad, we are so like brutalized and emotionally exhausted from some of these things. But it's important to remember, Paul is talking uh, to a group of people that he has acknowledged their suffering. So he's spoken many times into the suffering of the Thessalonians, and he's talking about how, yes, things have been hard, things have been broken, yes, you've experienced so much, and yet in the midst of all that, he's saying, there's three things I want you never to stop doing. Rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks for everything. And, and why is that? I think if we just kind of think through what Paul said in the letter of 1 Thessalonians, he gives us a lot that sort of undergirds all of it. So the first thing he said in this letter, in the beginning of chapter 1, he's talked about how He's so thankful to God because the word of God came to them. So, okay, in the midst of a society that's full of all of these messages that it sends us, all these things that are disruptive and, and, um, and harmful, and we can see everything fracturing, in the midst of that, God's words come, right? And they're spoken. And this community was a community that heard God's words, and it, it came alive in them, and they became this community that's shaped by the word of God. And the word of God sounded forth from them. It began shaping who they were. And so because of that, he, Paul's saying, like, man, this word of God just took root in you. You can rejoice. This word of God is, is going out through you. You can, you can take joy in that. Like, you've received this family. He talks about how, like, when we were with you, man, we were like mothers with you. We were like uh, fathers with you. We were like brothers and sisters with you. There's this family you've been placed in. And that gives you cause for saying, oh, you know what? There's this group of people in this world that I belong to, that functions like a family. And so I can rejoice in that, right? He's thought about how, like, God himself has taught you how to love one another. I mean, that's cause for rejoicing, right? In a world where it's so hard, it feels like to love, and, and, and the people that we want to love eventually just frustrate us to no end, and we get so, so fed up and so exhausted. He's saying, no, 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 God is actively teaching you, himself teaching you how to love 
one another. And so all of these things are causes for joy. And then he throws in there the fact that, man, God is coming back. Like Jesus is going to return for you. He's going to bring with, those, with, you, with him those who have died. You're going to be reunited with them. He's going he's to fix everything that's wrong in the world. So all of these are like these reasons to have joy. At the same time, these are all reasons why praying without ceasing makes a whole lot of sense. Because as he's talking about, he, he refers to them um, in this letter as God's co-workers. So you're the ones that like when God's working in this world, you're his co-workers. So God's going to do something big. God's going to do something important. But when he looks at your neighbors, when he looks at your co-workers, when he looks at your family and, and the people that live around you, and God wants to do something in their lives, he's saying, you're the one that God says, hop in, we're going to work together, um, and you're going to be working side by side with me. That's cause for prayer. That's cause to say, okay, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Would you please just do something through me? When we get into a world where we're just like, I don't even understand it anymore. Every time I look at social media or the news or talk to anybody, I don't even understand what's going on anymore. He's saying this is the cause for prayer. This is the cause for falling on our knees and just saying, Lord, do something bigger through me than I can do on my own. And in the same world, he's saying, man, all the time, in every circumstance, wherever you are, give thanks. Because there's always those things to be thankful for, right? There's the blessings that are all around us. There's the ways that God is working in us, all around us. There's the people that actually, even though things seem broken and everyone seems against us, there's still those people that are there that are caring. And there is evidence of goodness and grace and God working in this world all around us. So in all this, he's saying, rejoice, pray, um, give thanks in all of these things. Do it always. Do all of these things always. And it's this powerful reminder that, that feels a little tone deaf at times, right? But I think he's promising us that all this is possible. All this is there. And I think what's, what's hard sometimes is I think we, we treat it too individualistically, okay? So I can't possibly be joyful all the time. Like it just doesn't, I, I'm like 99% of the time actually by personality, like God's made me very buoyant as a person. Um, and you can take that physically if you want to. It actually is not inaccurate. Um, but, uh, but, but not all the time I can't, right? And I was just picturing, you know, like, I was picturing actually this week our church family, and if we could put a, uh, a time lapse in here over all the years that we've gathered Sunday by Sunday, and compare that with uh, all the tragedies that have happened in this church family. So think of, like, people that we've lost, right? Children that we've lost, uh, church members that we've lost, tragedies that have happened, right? This, this church has lived through 9-11, and, and, and in all these different shootings, and all these different things have come. And so we've all come in here at different times where, where some of us are, like, thrilled, man. Best week of my life. I got that promotion, right? Uh, we had our new baby, you know, my, my kid's finally out of the house, right? Like whatever it is, like we, there's these joys. And meanwhile, you're walking in and sitting here in this space with people who are also like hardest week of my life and my, my heart has been ripped out of my chest. Or, or, um, or I, I don't know that I have strength to go on. I've prayed a thousand times that this relationship would be healed and it just isn't. What do I do? This diagnosis keeps coming up again and again and again. No matter how many times I go to get checked out or I have procedures done, it still is there. And so we're side by side, week by week, walking in, one person at the top of their game and everything's awesome and the other person just gutted, right? And then we come in here and the time lapse would show us, not just as individuals, but as a family, sitting here and able to mourn well, and able to rejoice well. Like, there's a beauty in the family of God where we hold each other's pains in a way. We also hold the bigger picture together and just say, yes, things are hard, but there is also cause to rejoice. And if you can't voice it right now, I'm going to voice it right next to you. And we can together be this community that is, man, rejoicing always. 
that, that is also just praying without ceasing, that is also giving thanks for all the things that God's put around us. This is why it's so important and so beautiful for us to be a family, to care enough about each other to invest and to know and to gather and just to be together saying, okay, Lord, this life is tough. We'll do it together, and together we can do all this. Man, the one, that, the one in this that is, the, I think, the most convicting for me, you can each pick your own, which one's harder. Um, for me, it is that pray without ceasing one, okay? It is that pray without ceasing because there have been times, seasons in my life where I have been like, I'd say, I'd at least say relatively prayerless, but I'd say that's probably an oversight. I, I probably have been at times extremely prayerless, okay? And, I, and I, I shared this last week, but the gift of the last couple of years where everything has just been so insane that it's almost comical if it wasn't so tragic, it's just so hard that we've been driven to our knees again and again and again. And what it's been reminding me of is, I mean, you know what? I think if I could step back and say, okay, Lord, if I could, if I could choose like a, a thing that I want to avoid at all costs, um, it would be a prayerless church, like a prayerless ministry. So, so if, if I'm not like, if I, if I care about what's happening in this church family at all, and I'm not sitting here taking it before the Lord and saying, God, please, would you work? Please, would you move? Please, would you heal these people? Please, would you just transform our hearts together? If I'm not doing that, then like, man, you don't want me here, right? And if we're not together as a family coming in, if we're a church that doesn't care about praying, right? We've got our strategy in order. We've got our kids' ministry in order. We've got our, um, our doctrine in order. And we're doing all these things. And we don't have time or the inclination to pray to the Lord. I'm just saying, man, what a waste of time. What a waste of resources. What an actually life. Like, that's, that's the kind of thing that has the appearance of life. But there's no actual life in it. And we want nothing to do with it. And, and so I just, man, I love this picture and this call that Paul is giving us to these three simple things that he says, always do these. Rejoice all the time, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. You know, we have these, um, we have these signs. Well, some of you have these signs um, in your houses that say, um, in our family, we dot, dot, dot. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? In our family, we uh, give hugs. In our family, we play hard and we, um, I don't know, cry hard or something. In our family, we do second chances, right? Like, so you guys have these and they're wonderful. They're beautiful, right? But if they were honest, okay, if that was an actually an honest sign, it would probably say something like, in our family, in our family we watch Netflix nightly, okay? Um, in our family, we all fight for our own way, okay? Um, you know, in our family, we do fast food at least three times a week, okay? So if our signs were accurate, right? And so what would, a, what would an accurate church sign look like, okay? In our church, um, we insist that the music always sounds exactly the way that we want it to. In our church, we fight over every point of doctrine and make sure the pastor says it exactly as I believe it and as I would emphasize it, right? Um, in our church, we make sure that everything goes the way that I, like that's an honest church sign, right? But what if we could take a step back and look at Paul's words, his ancient, really old words that he's speaking to this church and say, okay, in our church family, we rejoice always, we pray without ceasing, and we give thanks in all circumstances what would that look like? How cool would that be to be a part of? And I, I, I'm not saying it like um, uh, with con like conviction. I have my own conviction over kind of some of that prayerlessness that I've experienced in the past. But I'm just saying, man, let these things shape us. So Paul gives these three things. And I think they're related to kind of our relationship with God. Now he's going to focus in on the spirit of God, okay? And here are some tough verses for me, and I'll explain why. So he says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So here's what's tough for me. In my, uh, in my childhood, my like church upbringing, and especially in my theological ministry training, 
um, we were taught pretty much, uh, even though we read these verses and believed them, okay, we were taught pretty much to quench the spirit and to definitely despise prophecies, okay? So when I read this, I, I will just tell you I'm hardwired to explain, like, why he doesn't really mean that we should just be open to the Spirit doing whatever, and why he definitely doesn't think um, that prophecies are an actual good thing, right? But I, I fight against my hard wiring in this, and I read what Paul's saying, and, and look at what he's saying. Don't, don't quench the Spirit. Don't stifle the Spirit of God. So the, the Spirit of God is like this third person of the Trinity. So we have God the Father, we have God the Son, Jesus Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit, and, and all three of them somehow are one person tied together, but also working in this world in slightly different ways. Every time in the world that God wants to do something, the Spirit of God is there working. So even from the beginning, when God's speaking the world into existence, let there be light, let there be land, let there be water, the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of it all, and he's working in all of it. And throughout the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit coming and moving and working everywhere that God wants to work and move. In the New Testament, you definitely see the Holy Spirit going, and as the church is going out to do the things that God's calling us to do, it's the Spirit of God that is, like, coming into ordinary people and supernaturally just making us um, more powerful, more dynamic, more courageous than we would be on our own. And so it's the Spirit of God working. And here is Paul speaking to this little um, persecuted church, and he's saying, hey, whatever you do, whatever you do, make sure that you're not stifling what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do. I think for me, it starts with a belief that there is something that the Spirit of God wants to do, like here, with our family, okay? So for me, I think that my, my sort of unspoken assumption was that what, is, what does God want for, for, like, me as a pastor and us as a church? It's, he wants us to, to kind of stay on track doctrinally and kind of just keep that status quo, you know? If we're all, like, together and we're all attending pretty, pretty faithfully, we're all giving our money, definitely, that's super important. And, um, and if we're all just kind of on track, like, that is what the Spirit of God is for. And um, when I voice it out loud, I feel like I can hear how ridiculous that feels. This, the Spirit of God, what he wants most in the world is to keep the status quo of our comfortable suburban American church. Like, there's no way. There is no way. Now, I can't tell you exactly what the Spirit of God wants to do. I can tell you for sure it's not a matter of, like, strategy where it's like, okay, we got the Holy Spirit program. Everybody sign up, and we'll tell you exactly what to do. No, actually, I think what he's saying is the Spirit of God is in each of you. And so the Spirit of God has something that he wants to do in our church family. I, I believe we're experiencing it now, but I think there's way more that the Spirit of God wants to do. And I think when we look out in our community that's hurting and frustrated and all these kinds of things, there's so much grace and healing and hope that the Lord wants to send out there and it's going to be the Spirit doing it. And so he looks to us, I believe, and just says, hey, whatever you do, do not stifle, do not quench the Holy Spirit because he has these powerful things that he wants to do. He's going to do it in all of us. He's going to ignite all of our hearts in a sense. So don't put out that fire. Let's embrace it and let's allow the Lord to do more through us than we possibly could. Now, I think that's important. Um, I think that's uh, vital. I think it's commanded in the word of God here. And I'll just tell you, it's wild to me that then the next thing he says is about prophecy, okay? Because this is the, this is the tough one for me. Because this is what I was, I was trained, man, you, you don't go here with this stuff, okay? It was, the word of God was written, and prophecy is a whole different thing. So what is prophecy? Um, prophecy is like, it's, it's basically speaking the word of the Lord, okay? So um, in the Old Testament, the prophets come, and they say, thus saith the Lord, and then they speak on God's behalf, okay? So now, that was in the Old Testament. There was some of it that was like foretelling the future and speaking these kind of cryptic things and kind of revealing to people for the first time. But often it was simply like a message that God would send through a prophet of like, hey, stop sinning and come back to me, right? Things that we already knew, but that God sent someone to tell us. 
And I think prophecy, if you follow all the way through the Old and New Testaments, it looks like that. It's people speaking on God's behalf. It's people giving people, it's God giving people a message and them speaking that on God's behalf. And sometimes I think it does actually look like that sort of cryptic, like I've got a picture, I've got a word that I just, I don't know why, but I think the Lord wants me to share this with you. Um, sometimes I think it does look like what I'm doing right now, where we open up the word of God and we say, hey, this is what God is saying to us. I think that's prophesying too, in a sense. But I feel like what, what I want to resist, okay, is I, I have, uh, I, I have a, I have a intellectual form of the faith that makes a lot of sense to me, that I was trained in, that I've read a whole lot of books about, um, where, where everything kind of makes sense. And I know, I know the things that God's kind of allowed to do and the things he's kind of not allowed to do. And I look, I look kind of from over here in my more conservative upbringing, and I look at my like charismatic Pentecostal brothers and sisters who are all about the spirit, and I'm just going to say, they do some weird stuff, okay? <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Um, I, 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 was, you know, I was part of a youth group for a, like a hot minute in high school where we were like the worship band, and they were doing some weird stuff, okay? Like flopping around like mackerel and like, and you, you wouldn't even believe like some of the stuff. And so I look over here and I'm like, man, Lord doesn't want that for sure, right? Um, but I, I know my, my charismatic brothers and sisters are over here like, look at these people just terrified of God doing something different to them. Look at them so afraid to be undignified or, or for God to do something that breaks their expectations that they're sitting there closing themselves off and hiding in their books from what God actually wants to do. And you know what? I feel like my heart lately has been drawn to this perspective a little bit about, yeah, what, what am I afraid of, right? So, I, so what's God calling us to do? I don't know, Creekside. I really don't know. But, but I can tell you this. What, what, it doesn't explain what prophesying he wants to see here. It doesn't explain what he wants to see the Spirit do here, but what it does say is simply this. Don't quench the Spirit. So look, I know for a fact the Spirit of God wants to do something powerful in each of you and through all of us, right? So I know that for a fact. That is on the authority of Scripture. That is what God says. I know he wants to do it. So all I can say is, with Paul, let's please, please, please not stifle that. Let's not resist it. Let's not shut the door on that. Let's keep ourselves open to what the Spirit wants to do. And as we do... I believe that the Lord will have things that he wants to say to us, okay? Some of that will come as we open the word of God and we talk about it like this week to week. That's so vital and we'll always do that. Um, but some of it will come as God just lays something on your heart and you say, you know what, I, I don't know why, but I'm just going to share this with somebody, okay? And you do it in humility and you do it in grace, but we cannot be despising of that. We cannot be despising of what, of God doing and saying what he wants to do and how he wants to do it and when he wants to do it and where he wants to do it. Let, we need to be open. Now, Paul does give us some clarification, and I appreciate this. My conservative self really likes the next couple of verses. Verse 21, but test everything, hold fast what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. So I think the key is seeing, yes, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Definitely test everything, okay? So if it's like, hey, the spirit is telling me, like, it's, it's time to, like, really get into some sin here or something, right? It's like, okay, hang on. Let's test that. Nope, that doesn't check out. Let's not do that. But I think so much of what I, uh, like, I've, the way I've lived is just closed off because I'm afraid of what God might do. I'm afraid of how it might be abused. I'm afraid, honestly, of how I might be perceived. And I just want us to be a group of people that aren't trying to plan everything out. We're not trying to strategize everything, and we're definitely not trying to just preserve our intellectual form of Christianity where everything kind of makes sense and fits and is respectable enough. But just to say, okay, God, this is your world. I, I like, I'm literally exist. I'm alive because you made me. Um, I, I'm empowered, and I, and I have this connection to you because your spirit lives within me. What do you want me to do? And please keep me open to that. I would love to see what our church looks like as we kind of take those things on. And we have to test it. So we hold fast to what's good, 
and we abstain from everything that is evil. Anything that leads us into a bad place, anything that leads us into an unhealthy posture, just to say, nope, I'm staying away from that, and I'm going to do the good things that God's set before me. I'm going I'm to acknowledge, and I'm going to celebrate the good things that God's doing. And I'll, I'll tell you this week what struck me is I'm thinking about, you know, abstain from every form of evil. There's a lot of forms of evil, okay? So we're seeing it. It looks like school shootings. It looks like racism in our country. It looks like, um, it looks like some of the, like, nationalistic, ugly things that I've seen lately. And so all these things are forms of evil, right? It also looks like what's in our own heart. It's our, our like, literal sexual morality. It's our literal addiction to pornography. It's, like, these things that are just abstain from all of that. But I also see a side of it where in my pursuit of a, like, an intellectual Christianity that makes perfect sense to me where I dot every single I and I cross every single T and my theological system makes the most sense and somehow becomes the most important, I begin using this as a rule book to judge everybody else by. Everybody fits my mold or they don't. And I think sometimes if you step back and you look at what's the fruit of that, we're, easy, we're good at taking the words of Jesus and holding them and using them in a way that's more of a weapon and more of a barrier against the people around us. And we actually, in the process, end up looking less like Jesus because of the way that we treat people based on our need to be right, our need to be certain, our need to control, our need to gatekeep. And so I think the invitation here is, man, let the Spirit do what the Spirit does. Now, we're going to test it all, and we're going to always be coming back to the Word of God. We're always going to hear His voice the loudest. We're not going to despise the prophecies. When He speaks, we're there. But man, we're going to cling to what's good, and we're going to abstain from every form of evil. So when we find our faith making us more judgmental, making us less like Jesus, making us more hypocritical, we, we step back, we let go, and we just say, Lord, would you, through your Spirit, just speak to us and transform us? We want to see those beautiful things. All right, so Paul's going to wrap this up. Okay, so he said these, these couple of beautiful things, I think, and then he, he kind of does his final business with the Thessalonians. And I love the way he describes the community. And I, I want us to find the invite into these things um, for ourselves as he closes it off. So verses 23 and 24, he says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So here Paul is praying that the God of peace would do what he's wanting to do. And, and, and that is sanctify you completely. So it's taking your lives and it's making you holy. That's what the word sanctify means. Make you more holy. Make you more like God himself. Make you more like Jesus. So he's, he's praying, you, Lord, are the God of peace. So in the midst of their suffering, would you, the God of peace, bring more peace into their lives? Would you sanctify them? Would you make them more holy? And, and, and what is he saying? He's not telling them, would you guys all please try harder to become more holy? Would you please, like, Get, get more active? Would you set up more rules and more boundaries so that you can be more holy? No, he's actually just saying, I'm just praying for you guys that the God of peace will come and work and, and will sanctify you completely. And, and why? What, what does he have in view there in verse 23? So that our whole spirit and soul and body may be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, here he is. He's talking again about that end, right? That end that's coming. And we wonder, like, how am I going to get there to the end? How am I going to get to that point when Jesus comes back and everything's fixed? Like, I don't have the energy. I don't have the direction. I feel like I'm so lost. How am I going to get there? And Paul's just saying, don't worry. I'm praying that the God of peace will do it. And that he'll keep you blameless. He's just going to carry you through until the day of the Lord. It's God who's going to get us through. Because Paul does not end this by saying, because I know that you will be faithful to do what I've called you to do, what Paul actually says is simply this, he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. See, this is the reminder that we need again and again and again. It is not about our faithfulness. It's not because we're so great that we're going to get there in the end, okay? If that was the case, we're done, 
we're done. Like, we may as well give up right now because it does not work out. But he's saying there is a God who is calling you to peace. There's a God who's calling you to holiness. There's a God who's calling you to life. And that God who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. That is a beautiful, beautiful reminder. Because that day can feel so far off, and it can feel like there's so much more brokenness. How many more shootings are we going to have to experience until that day comes? And he's just saying, look, the Lord is going to carry you through it. He's going to empower us. If we don't resist the Spirit of God, he's going to work. And man, it all rests on his faithfulness and not ours. And finally, Paul's last words to the Thessalonians here in this, this letter. We're going to go, by the way, next week we jump into 2 Thessalonians. And I'll just tell you, it kind of repeats a lot of the same material, but weirder and more intense, okay? So stick around all summer. It's going to be awesome. He says, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. See, this is, this is cool because in this, um, in Acts 2, it's one of my favorite descriptions of the church. In Acts 2, it talks about how they, they were all together, like they shared their lives together, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to the breaking of bread and the fellowship. Like, those are all in there. And you can see all these elements except maybe the breaking of bread in this thing. It's another description. It's another window into the life of the early church. Um, so one thing is he's, he's drawing us back again to the importance of prayer. Brothers and sisters, pray for us, right? Paul's doing something. He needs their prayers. They're a team. They're praying together for what's happening, a reminder of prayer. He gives us a reminder of the importance of Scripture because he's putting them under oath that they would read these words to all of the brothers and sisters, basically saying these words are really important. Make sure everybody hears them. Um, at the end of Colossians, Paul actually is writing to them, and he says, um, I've also written to the church in Laodicea. Make sure you take this letter and have them read it there, and you get their letter, and you read it here. Like, it's this call and this reminder to do what we do every week, which is, let's open these words up. Let's let these words speak to us. Um, there's so many messages we're hearing from the world around us. Let's let these words speak. And he says this, and then he talks about this, um, this the way that we greet each other. And, and I'll just say this. I, there's like a liberalizing trend in our churches. We start to play fast and loose with God's word, and we start to downplay some things. And I just want, sometimes we have to take the word of God literally. And he says this, brothers and sisters, greet one another what? With a handshake? With a holy kiss? Oh, I'm just, I'm trying to be serious. And you guys are like, <laughs> all you liberals just want us to metaphorize this. He's talking about a holy kiss, you guys. No. Um, you know, I, I've, I've looked at this kind of a thing for a long time. And I, I kind of thought, well, that's a different, they were, like, they were like Italy back then, or France or something, where they're just kissing on the cheek all the time, and it's just culturally appropriate. But I actually dug into it this week. Uh, they weren't kissing each other all the time back then, okay? So, um, so like, why is Paul saying this? It's actually kind of a countercultural thing. What, what kissing would, would look like back then is if, um, there's two things. One is within the context of family. You're close, you're intimate, and so there's a, that, little, that little kiss thing that happens within the family, Okay. My girls to let me kiss them on their cheeks, which I'm thankful for. I feel like that's going to stop at some point. I'm going to take it as long as I can get it. Um, also, in the context of reconciliation. So there's this relationship that's been broken. You come back together, and it's sort of a way of, like, just let's hug it out, okay? Let's, let's have that kiss to kind of reconcile. And so it's, what's remarkable is Paul is speaking to this church family in such a way that it's just saying, like, hey, um, when you're together, you're like family. You're like a group of people that have been um, reconciled to each other. I mean, those are encouraging words for me because I look at the world around us, and as it breaks down more and more and more, it seems like all the time, here we're called within a family, where we do greet each other in this way, okay? I, think that look, I do think that looks like a handshake or perhaps a hug, you know? And it's like that sort of like greeting and just we come back 
from the world that, that wears on us, the world, the world that's beautiful, right? All these amazing people around us, but also just the world that wears us down. And we come back together, and we're this group of people that, man, we're as imperfect as everyone else, and we get as worn down as everybody else, but we come back together, and we hug, or we shake hands, and we're just saying, yeah, we're family. Yes, we're a group that's at peace with one another. Yes, this is a place that I can belong and find rest and rejuvenation and be sent back out into all the things um, that God calls me to. See, I feel like, um, so one, one thing that my parents warned me about when I was a kid is uh, you don't slouch in your seat or you're going to be like hunchback and slouchy. And, um, and boy, were they right about that, okay? Um, I, I never once listened to them, but I, I have like a total posture problem. And, um, and so I'm like this. People are like surprised. When I stand up straight, it's like, wow, you're tall. Like I'm, I'm 6'3 when I'm standing this way, but I don't stand this way um, typically. And, um, and w- all these years of like bad posture have just kind of got me a little hunched over. And I feel like the last couple of years for us have been these couple of years of just like terrible social posture for us, you know? Like I was talking to teacher friends, and, um, and they're all just like over it. You know, they're just like, kids are broken right now. Like they're just broken. I, I have a neighbor that's a, um, a behaviorist in schools, and he's like, kids are acting out in ways that is just crazy compared to a couple of years ago. Um, they're worn out. They, they like, and then we as a society, right? So they're, they're saying like 40% of pastors are thinking about quitting. They're saying like that's matched in like pretty much every profession. I know so many teachers that are either shifting schools or like done completely. And it's just, it's like we're exhausted as a society. We're, like our posture has just been um, destroyed the last couple of years. And I think at first it looked like the isolation, right? We did our best and we tried to do phone calls and we tried to do um, Zoom calls and all these kinds of things, but it just, we, we were like missing each other. We got grouchier with each other and everything made us more angry. And then we had all these like outrage experiences and some of them for really good reasons, right? But we just were like ready to be just set off at a moment's notice to be upset about this or that. And, and, and there's been like infinite options um, of things to be enraged about over the last couple of years. But what I, what I fear for our society is that our posture has gotten so terrible that we're just going to keep ripping each other apart forever, right? And, and I, I'm like, do we, do we come back from this? Like, can kids bounce back? Can they recover? Can our schools get a little healthier? Can, um, can we in society, like, just be a little more chill? Like, can social, social media ever be recovered? And probably not, you know, but I don't know. And you just wonder, like, what's going to happen? But I, what I am optimistic about, what I do have hope about is this. I think the church can be a place we sort of, like, adjust our posture again. We kind of get together and we say, okay, I can't solve the world's problems, but here we can invest in the right kinds of relationships. Here we can greet each other in a way that acknowledges our familyhood. Here we can be in a place where, like, I'll just let you guys know, if you're wondering if I disagree with you about anything, I do. I disagree with you about a lot, okay? And we can, if you want to take time to figure out what those things are, we can do it. Um, But we disagree on things. You disagree with each other on things, but yet we can still be a family. And we can still love each other. And we can still have each other's backs. And we can disagree on really serious things but still love each other and have this posture of a family. That when we come together, man, that greeting is beautiful. And it doesn't have to be a kiss, although I'm open if you guys want. Um, um, but, uh, well, that was about the weirdest thing anyone's ever said from the pulpit. But, um, but man, just to kind of greet each other that way. So this is what I want to do. Um, I, want us to, I want us to end our time in the Word together. We're going to sing a couple more um, songs here. But I, I, wanna, uh, I want us to end our time in the Word together by practicing what this says. Let's do the holy kiss thing, but we're going to do the American version, okay? So, um, so I want you to take a couple minutes and do what my little country church growing up did all the time really well, which is just like say hi to a couple people. Give a handshake. Give a hug. Um, no kisses, except in the most extreme cases. Um, no hugs unless you've talked to that person more than three times, okay? If you've done more than three times, you can hug. But some of you are just way more aggressive with the hugs than, than others of us can handle. Um, but definitely handshakes. So I'm serious. Let's do it. 
go right now and be friendly for a minute, and then we're going to uh, sing a little bit more.